1: thing right Amen. the story goes that the little boy asked his dad said dad dad was sitting there reading the paper and he said dad I want a little brother and dad said well son I think that's something you should pray about and so he went to prayer and prayed and uh Prayed for a month, nothing happened. He prayed for a second month, nothing happened. He prayed every night through the third month, and nothing happened. Well, six months later, the dad takes a little boy down to the hospital and pulls back the curtain and said, "Son, I've got a surprise for you. Here's a little brother." And he said, "But we're not done yet." And he pulls back the curtain and says, "Oh, here's another little brother." And he said, oh, yeah, and pulled back the curtain and said, there's a third little brother. And he said, man, he said, aren't aren't you glad? He said, aren't you glad you prayed? And the son said, probably not as glad as you are that I quit praying. (laughs) (laughs) Probably so, amen? Um, Get your Bibles your electronic device, uh, whatever you are, however you're looking at the Word of God tonight, I am going to turn to two specific passages of Scripture. I want to read the first one mainly as reference, and then I'm going to, so we're going to go to Ezra chapter 3, and then to Matthew chapter 21, and uh, we talked about some of this, maybe Pastor spurred some of this on, uh, asking us as leaders to think of some creative ways and uh, some things that I, I couldn't share as much in, uh, in our system director meeting. Uh, the Lord was kind of been talking to me all week about this. And, um, and so I want to talk to us tonight as the church, as the body, about something specific. Um, we'll start here in Ezra chapter 3, reading in verse 1. You can stay seated. There's quite a bit of reading tonight, so I'll just let you stay seated. And when the seventh month was come... And the children of Israel were in the cities, and the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua the son of Josadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren, and builded the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. Then over to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to pick up the story of Jesus' triumphant uh, entry into the city of Jerusalem. Pick it up there in verse 12. The Bible says in your Probably familiar with this story, to at least most of us are to some extent. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him, came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, "Hosanna to the son of David," Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, "Hearest thou?" They said unto Jesus, Here is what these say." And Jesus said, "Saith unto them, Yea. Have you never read out of the mouth." of babes and suckling hast thou perfected praise. Amen. Uh, And I want to talk to us tonight, I just kind of really want to start here in Ezra and just look at this from a historical perspective. Verse 3 tells us that they set the altar upon his basis, or they put that altar upon its foundation. And the result was they were able to begin to offer burnt offerings in the morning and in the evening, which was their custom. Now, some history that's going on here is that this altar had been completely destroyed. This is the conclusion of the 70 years where the nation of Israel is taken into captivity, and they are returning to Jerusalem. And their plan is to rebuild the city, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple, and all of these different things. But in some study, what, what what I found was significantly, the first thing, uh, kind of noteworthy here, the first thing that they rebuilt was the altar. And, and I want to kind of use that tonight. So I want you to understand so that for 70 years, they could not practice their religion. There was no brazen altar. The structure was broken down. Everything was in ruins. And so they were not able to worship. There was There was no place for a sacred fire. There was none none of that stuff. And so when they get back here, they begin to clear out the area where the temple was. And so this brazen altar, after they had built this altar, they had to determine where to put it. And so they went back and they began to search for the foundation of the altar. And I think it's significant. In my mind, at least, my imagination kind of ran with this a little bit. The people were, they kind of knew where the temple was because when they destroyed Jerusalem prophetically, not one stone was left laid upon another stone. They they ultimately completely destroyed it. It's not like, you know, they, they broke down this wall or that wall. They took every stone off of the next stone. There was not two stones laid on top of one another that was prophesied and that came to pass. And so what I'm saying is that the temple site was a complete picture of devastation. Um, You know, but the one thing that they could not or did not erase was the foundation. And so somehow they were able to find this outline where the altar was. Still, somehow, I'm sure they didn't have the technology that we have today. And they were able to clear away that rubble. And, and to be able to place that, that rebuilt altar on top of that. And, and so one of the truths that we find in Scripture that is all throughout the Bible is that we, we find that, that, that altars are built upon a foundation. I remember this. I remember, some of you, probably not as many, but some of you still remember Bishop calling prayer meetings. He would, back then the church was smaller, and he would call us to prayer out of the blue, and it was highly inconvenient, and most of us were so young, we didn't know the difference, and uh, you know, how, how long are we going to pray? We're, gonna, gonna, we're just going to come tonight and pray. Well, how long are we are going to come tomorrow night and pray, and we're going to come the next night and pray, and, and this would go on for sometimes weeks, sometimes months, and, and we just came and prayed and 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 you you understand this and so you know uh, we want an explanation you know we had families we had lives we had jobs and and if we're not careful our relationship with God our relationship can become to the point where it's a thing of convenience amen and, and i want to i want to kind of just put that as an overarching idea for what i want to teach tonight you, you know the 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 altar has always represented a place of communion with God. It's a place where we go to meet the Lord. And we know, we understand that the New Testament church was literally birthed in a prayer meeting. And in the upper room, if you go back and read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, when the Holy Ghost would be poured out, it was it was a nondescript room. There was no, there's no nothing given favorable about the room. It was just an upper room, and all that simply meant was it was a room above another room. It wasn't. There was nothing fancy about it. You know, it, it probably was a lot like the the storefront church that Sister Roberts and I uh, attended thirty plus years ago up in Maine, the place where we went to that church when when Rachel was born. I, I think uh, nothing fancy. No details are given other than the fact that all the people. Gathered there, and they continued steadfastly. They continued focused. They continued earnestly in prayer and in supplication. And I'm convinced. If you're not, I am. I'm convinced that this this whole pandemic, the the everything that we're dealing with, has created separation and and it, it, it's created damage within the within the body. Of Christ, and it's damaging the foundation of prayer in the church. My opinion is probably in ways that we don't even yet understand. And and, and while there's always a, a physical attack, uh, you know, there, there's there's uh, there's generally when you have a physical attack, there's generally an accompanying spiritual attack that goes with it. And I believe that God is calling the church back to a place of prayer. Uh, I, I've been frustrated. I'm going to be honest with you about it. I, you've heard me say it on multiple occasions and multiple times. Um, I, I know we're social distancing. and I know we're doing all of these things. And and, and I've encouraged, uh, to tried to do so politely. Please come and pray. Please get here early. Please make it make some time to pray. Uh, my opinion is, if I can walk through Walmart with a mask on, I can walk around the church or kneel down in the church and pray. My opinion. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to berate anybody or beat anybody up, but I believe that God is calling us to a place of prayer. I want to explain to you something that I see in the scripture. I believe God wants to wants us to rebuild a foundation. Pastor said this just a couple of weeks ago and it just kind of stuck in my spirit. I remember those old prayer meetings and I remember Mother Brown you know, where you'd just be, everybody be praying and all of a sudden she would go Jesus! And you'd feel the Holy Ghost go through the room and I remember one night Bishop said, get your Bible and you go stand in that corner and you go stand in that corner and you go stand in that corner. In that corner. Brother Barr in that corner and Brother Robertson, Brother Lyon and Brother so-and-so, you go get in that corner. And we opened up to Isaiah chapter six and we began to read what those angels read in the presence of God and we invite and there was a holy hush that come and the people get, and there was a strength that was built in the body. But I'm convinced of this, if we're going to really have a spiritual breakthrough, not just in our community, but in our church, then we've got to return to a foundation of prayer. In, in spite of conditions. In spite of circumstance, in spite of what we're dealing with around us, we need a ministry of prayer. It was really hard to contain myself through some of our discussion earlier um, in a meeting we had earlier. One writer wrote it this way. He said, the ministry of prayer is the most important of all ministries in the church. He said, prayer creates an atmosphere and it binds the powers of darkness for." It's the purpose that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forward and the church can prosper. I would, I would say it so the church can grow. And this is the area, this writer said, that the majority of the church talks about and practices the least. I want someone to understand that prayer is not easy. There's always going to be opposition, but the altar has always been a sacred place and it's always been a place of sacrifice because it's the only place where we can really meet with God. Uh, I taught a, a lesson on altars. I looked in my notes one year ago, almost to the day, and I told you this, that a prayerless church is a powerless church and a prayerless church is a passionless church, but Altars are not just these two steps that are here in in the front of the church. They are literally a meeting place between heaven and earth where God creates covenant, where sacrifices are, are offered. I remember, I don't know, probably 20 some years ago teaching a lesson in a Sunday school class and prayer broke out. I remember talking about how that Jacob, in, in his in his vision, he began to see that stairway to heaven. Not just a song they wrote in in the '70s, but there were angels that were ascending and descending. And I remember teaching that lesson and talking about how that those angels were going up with requests and down with answers. And and Jacob saw what was going on. There's really there's really a spiritual realm, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can take all of this for granted. But you you and I have got to understand. That the prevalent and dominant spirits of our day do not want us to pray. They don't. They don't want us to pray. Distraction, selfishness, socialism, technology, science, and, and now oh, we got to throw on top of that social distancing. These are not ideas, they're not alternatives, they're worldly and demonic spirits that are tearing at the fabric of our lives. They're, they're doing what they can to, to affect the foundation of the church. And if you don't purposely build an altar in your life, these spirits will destroy you. I, I've, I've watched it. I've watched people as they begin to just slide away, and and some of my teaching over the last few weeks, I've talked about sliding back, and last week I talked about building on a solid foundation and not building on sand, and and tonight I'm talking to us about the house of God and the foundation, the uh, the foundation of the house of God has always been one of prayer, and and personal prayer is needful, it's it's necessary, And, and pastor said this earlier to the leadership tonight, I believe that people are praying. But I, I do believe that these, all of these things that we're dealing with are affecting us personally, and our personal prayer may not be what it used to be. I, I'm not in your home. I don't have a hidden camera. I wouldn't want one anyway. I don't want to know what you're doing. But I do know, I, I can see what's going on with corporate prayer. And, and I know that we're limited. I know that we're limited, but I understand that the corporate prayer that we're used to, And that we have, not just before, even before COVID, we were dealing with this. We were talking about this. It's been a focal point for us. And I'm going to hopefully give you some scriptural precedent, some reasons why we must have corporate prayer. That altar has to be set back on the foundation. It's an imperative. It's not a maybe. It's not a might be. It's not a convenience or an inconvenience. It must happen if we're going to see God do the miraculous. So let me give you four things from Matthew chapter 21 that get restored when we restore the altar of prayer. The first one, Jesus makes this this statement in verse 13. I'm going to kind of go a little bit out of order. I want to do this on purpose. The, The priority of prayer is restored. Jesus said it this way. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, to my knowledge, Jesus didn't own a house, he didn't pay a mortgage, didn't have a stable or a donkey. He said, the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head, right? He, he, didn't, he, he, never, he, you know, he never had to send in a check every month or nothing like that, but he's talking about the house of God. He's talking about the people of God. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Now, I want to be careful. Because I'm trying to explain to us that God is calling the church to become a house of prayer for all people. Now, it's not necessarily this building, but it is the body. There's a corporate unity in the body that can only be achieved through prayer. Now, I believe in everything that we talk about at Living Hope. I believe that fellowship is necessary. I believe that preaching is necessary. Teaching, all of those are necessary. We know that. But without prayer, those things become ineffective. And so we're called to pray until the purposes of God are released in and through the body and into our community. What are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm saying it has to become a priority. What what does that mean? It's more important than something else? Well, when you make it a priority, it's more important. As a preacher, I felt bad for Bishop on Sunday. Bishop is very good, He's a, he is uh, an experienced, talented preacher, but it was obviously difficult here on Sunday. And I wonder what, what's going on? Is it a spiritual attack? Is it, you know maybe Bishop you know he's not as young as he once was? No, no. I, I really have felt. I spent some time saying, Lord, what was what was the issue? What was going on? We didn't have the typical service that we have when Bishop was here. the 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 worship was good. The you know the word was good. He he did a great job talking and speaking to us as the body. But there was just something missing, and and I felt like the God the, the Lord said to me, it's it's the foundation. There there wasn't. Prayer. No, there's not. There's there's nothing that moves me to move into that place, and so Jesus went into the temple and he began to upset some things and he turned over the tables and he he threw out the money changers and he he removed the seats for those that were selling doves and those that were profiting and manipulating. And you probably could hear a great sermon about all that. I'm not going to get in get into all that tonight. I probably could spend some time there. But here's what I want to tell you: the the temple had ceased to be what God wanted it to be. The church wasn't what God wanted the church to be. He wanted it to be a place of prayer. He he said, this is my original purpose for having a body so that it would be a corporate place of prayer. Now, we understand that prayer is a lifelong business. We understand what prayer is. We know that Jesus said in Luke 18 and 1 that men ought always to pray and to not faint. We know that Paul taught the New Testament church in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 to pray without ceasing. We understand that. But I want to tell us, I want to remind us of something that you know, that we never grow to the point where we no longer need to pray. If you don't need to pray for you, pray for me, pray for pastor, pray for the worship team, pray for the ushers, pray for someone involved in ministry, but we need that covering. We need that ability uh, uh, that prayer gives. Now, I know this. I've been around a minute and I'm not the smartest guy, but I recognize that when it comes to prayer, we tend to approach prayer more as pragmatists than we do idealists. We want to look at it, especially for me, I want to look at it from a practical sense instead of an idealistic sense. But prayer is the means, right? For us, it has become the means to an end. And that end, generally for our humanity, is a selfish one. I pray when I need something. I pray when I want something. I pray when somebody asks me to, just so I can tell them I prayed. And, and, you know you understand that, right? But here's what I, I read this about prayer. One of these thousands of books I got. He said this one. This one writer said it this way. He said men generally ply their prayers like sailors do when pumps when the ship is leaking. Ain't no water in there. No need to put, turn the pump on. Ain't no issue going on. Ain't no need to pray like. Hello? That, that's just, just the way it is, right? And so prayer becomes that last-ditch effort. It's that, it's that spiritual parachute. You're glad it's there, but you really hope you never have to use it. And so most people focus on prayer only in the response of how it works and not what it's for. i got to let that settle for a second. We, we, we focus on how prayer works, but really not what it's for. And so we end up with, if we're not careful, even in the church, a wrong or an incorrect perspective of prayer because we see it our way instead of God's way. Now here, I'm going to tell you something that some of you aren't going to like this. I'm going to tell you straight up. Prayer is designed to impress you with God more than it is designed to impress God with you or even your needs. I I thought about that as as I put it in my notes. I don't know how many times that I've gone to prayer with a real legitimate need, and when I really got into prayer and began to start talking about how great and how mighty and how powerful my God was, the need, one, didn't look so big, two, it wasn't so relevant, and sometimes I've even completely forgot about the need because I got lost. Why? Because prayer, the purpose of prayer is really not me or my issue. The purpose of prayer is about God. When we come together as a body, it really shouldn't be about who's teaching or preaching or singing or playing. It should be about what's God going to do today. Now, I know we say that, but, we, but from a practical sense, from a, a pragmatic sense, we don't always operate that way. I'm sorry. Calm down, Brother Roberts. You're teaching. But see, prayer loses its importance in our lives because our perspective gets skewed. I'm going to show it to you. John chapter 14, verse 13 gives us a, a good biblical perspective for prayer. Jesus said this, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Woo, just dance. That's great, right? But the why is in the next statement. In order or so that my Father may be glorified in the son man we jesus said you ask anything in my name i'll do it stop but it doesn't stop there there's a purpose in prayer and the purpose in prayer why does god want to hear your prayer why does god want to answer your prayer so that there might be glory given to the father prayer is first and foremost a recognition of god's majestic glory and his great ability Come on, if we could just get our perspective changed sometimes, it's not about what I need, it's not about telling God how bad the other person is, but it's about giving God an opportunity to show off. It's a, yes. There's a purpose in prayer, there's a reason in prayer. It's not just an act of submission, but it always and it still is a sign of our commitment to God. He said the reason, he said the reason he's going to answer my prayer is because God's going to get an opportunity to show off. Brother Sylvia told us about, about his, the miracle that his dad has. That they, had, they had diagnosed him with cancer. He'd been going through, and, and he t- told him he didn't want anything. And all of a sudden, months and months later, we've been praying for Brother Sylvia's dad. Brother Sylvia's been praying, and that doctor said, man, I don't know what happened, but there ain't no cancer. You know, prayer wasn't really so much about the dad or the cancer or the issue. It's about giving God an opportunity to show off. And if we begin to build that foundation, I'm not praying just because I have a need. I know God's there for me. I know he said cast my care upon him. But if I'm praying to give God an opportunity to show off, it'll change the way things are happening. That's how you make prayer a priority. And so prayer is not primarily for us. It's for God. Now that's that's a unique perspective for us, right? Everything that you go through is designed to lead you into a place of prayer. Why? To give God an opportunity to show off. Well, I got to let God know what I, what I need. He already knows. He said he knows what you need before you ask, but he still wants you to ask. Why? So because the the Father's going to get glory in the Son when the miracle happens. Hello, that's the purpose of it. And so when we look at that, sometimes we think prayer is all about me and what I need and I get lost in praying. But listen, really, it's an opportunity. If we we never gained anything else from prayer but the communion that we have with God, it would be enough. The second thing tonight that I would tell you that is restored when we build that foundational, that altar of prayer is found in verse 12. Jesus went into the temple and he cast them all out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and took away the seats of them that sold doves. I, I just, I've been stuck on that all day. He Just took the seats away. I would just be beside myself, Brother Wilson, if somebody took my seat away. And the Lord went in the temple and said, you dove sellers, you, just, you ain't got no more chairs. You just took them away. But the second thing that is released or restored is purity in prayer. It's so possible for us to begin to, to live for God and to think, you know, man, I, you know, I, I don't fight some of the same battles that I did 30-some years ago. I've gotten some victory over some things I still fight different things, but you know i don't i, I I'm not fighting the same battle I, I I really I can drive by the bar and i don't have i don't have an overwhelming temptation to go in i I can see somebody smoking a cigarette or I guess they're not even doing that they've got the little things the vaping things now i I don't have no desire to do that you know I, some some of those things they just don't have the draw and the allure you know you can you could drink a beer in front of me and i, I I'm not concerned with it either way. I'm not going to be offended by it. I'm not going to be upset. It just doesn't have the appeal to me that maybe, maybe it once did. You know, but when we began to talk about a restoration of purity, there, there's a lot of carnality in the church. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus, he said, this stuff shouldn't be in a house of prayer. They were selling and buying, and, and there were money changers and all stuff. Oh, you know, and, and some of that stuff, I, I get it. It's necessary. But if you went back and looked at the book of Le- Leviticus, and we're not tonight just for the sake of time. It focuses on purity. Purity. Probably the majority of of the book of Leviticus looks at purity. It it, it addresses Israel's sacrificial system. And it was set up to deal with two specific types of impurity or uncleanness. And the first one was ritual impurity. Chapters 11 through 15, I just kind of jotted this down. they, They talk about how that you could be unclean by touching Dead bodies, or coming in contact with things like mold, or skin disease, or bodily fluids, and all those things that we're we're pretty we're pretty attuned with now. And, and, you know, they didn't even they didn't even mention the stuff that we're dealing with now. But now this these these um these ritual impurities they didn't mean that you had sinned or you'd done something wrong. Uh, morally, something per se, but you know, you didn't kill anybody, you didn't rob a bank. But, but we kind of tend to think of this impurity as something that comes from a misdeed or, or something that uh, you know, is different. But the problem wasn't associated with, with being in contact with something that dealt with death. When you were around anything that was dead, you would be declared impure or unclean. And so these, these dead things could transfer their contamination because, unfortunately, and the, the Bible pointed this out, that death spreads. And so in an age of disease and bacteria, this, this ritual purity promoted health and, and community hygiene for an ancient Israel. Now, i, I, I kind of started thinking about some of that and i'm like you know we're in the covid age and all this stuff and, and and most everybody wore a mask in here tonight and you probably have to wear one when you go out and all of that kind of business that we're talking about we kind of get some of stuff you know I, i'm not sick you're not sick but we're, we're wearing this just in case and, and some of these things when you start talking about when you start talking about this this idea of ritual impurity it's an association with things that are unclean i, I began to, to think about this in my own life and, and in the lives of the people of God that we are constantly barraged right we're being bombarded by on you know, social media and television radio and whatever uh, by all of this unclean stuff you got to understand that, if, that, that the, when, when, when that stuff is associating with your life it is putting a, a ritualistic impurity into your life. Whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, it's really there's something going on in your life. And the only thing that will clean and purify your good, clean spirit is prayer. You've got to grasp that. I've got to, uh, I've got to grasp that. We've got to recognize that. Uh, and I know pastor can get up and say, we don't do this and we don't do that and we don't do this. And, 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 you know, you can almost feel the eyes rolling around the church because we don't feel like just because we've been associated with it that we've been, no. you need to understand Touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them. Those are biblical principles that apply to us. And what they do is they erode the foundation of prayer. That's why we've got to have corporate prayer. Because there's a washing and a regeneration and a renewing of the Holy Ghost. And we've got to recognize that. The second kind of uncleanness and, and this moral, moral impurity is found probably in chapters 18 to 20. and these were violations. They were you could go back and read this, you probably wouldn't even believe this as I began to study some of this, there were sexual, in, uh, sexual issues, sexual integrity, unhealthy relationships. it even dealt with some social injustice, and, and those things that would make someone morally impure. And so this, this, this willful rebellion was the means by which death had entered the first place. It was a crack in their thing. And so both moral impurity and ritual impurity had one thing in common. They were associated with death because we understand biblically that sin always brings with it death. And so the answer for both types of these impurity is found in the last section of Leviticus where the entire plan for the atonement comes out. Uh, you've got to understand something, that we still need the blood. Uh, it's more than a song, right? We know there's power in the blood, but we've got to recognize that when we get to an altar and we begin to cry out like the psalmist and said, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit, there's still an application of a blood, the blood. There's still a washing away. And the church has to have her, her purity, Prayer has to become a priority. It has to be the thing that we put the priority on and say, this is important. It's not about me. It's about giving God an opportunity to do what God and only God can do. But it also has to go deeper. This, this piece of furniture, this, this place, this altar where the atonement began was the altar. And we, we know that at that, that one with God, that bringing together. But when God would take those, those animals, when they would take those animals in the Old Testament and they would kill them. I began to think about some of this. You know, I I thought, why would you have money changers? And why would people be selling doves and all this stuff? I couldn't imagine taking my little goat down through the streets of Jerusalem and walking him into the church. Now, if you bring your goat in here, we're going to have an issue with you. Somebody's going to escort you and your sweet little goat back out the door. But this, is, this, was their, this was their religious duty, to bring the goat or the lamb or the turtle dove and bring it in. And it was a bloody, messy thing. And so how, how, convenient, how convenient must it have been to be able to go to the temple and buy two turtle doves for sacrifice or buy a goat? I mean, yeah, Brother Savati, it would have been much better to go buy a goat than to get the one that my poor babies have fallen in love with and bring it down and sacrifice it. cut its throat and let blood, it was just, it was just a mess. And so there was some convenience. And listen, you, you got to understand for us, it's so convenient just to come in and get what we need and go out. I, I mean, we we want we want church to be like Walmart. I'm gonna get my junk and I'm getting out that door. I don't want to spend one moment in Walmart more than I need to. And if we're not careful, that that convenience factor comes in. And we don't recognize that once I've been in Walmart, once I've been in Target, once I've been in whatever other place that I've been into that I don't want to go into, there's an there's there's death, there's association that's been associated with my life. And we have got to recognize that altars have always had a price attached to them. God intends that something be altered in your life. Now, I know we've got modern day church pastor and we come down to the altar and man, I mean, if the altar goes more than 10 minutes, I mean, the preacher can go 40, maybe 45 if it's good, but if that altar goes more than 10 minutes, I'm going to get my purse, I'm going to get my pocketbook, I'm going to get my whatever I got and we're going to get out of here because... Why? Listen, you you, you got to understand with me that when those animals were there, God was taking their, their, that that wool like like, like, a, like a sponge, and it was soaking up the death that they were absorbing around, around their lives. And so the Creator has put a time together for us as a body. And I know right now we may not all be able to come down to the front, and it's not really about location, but it's about you getting your spirit into a place and becoming in agreement with the word of god and allowing that word to wash over you and to renew you you got to know according to the word of god we're renewed by the washing of the word of god when that preacher preaches the word it's not just a man or a woman but it's the cleansing power of the word of god and the holy ghost and your agreement with it is going to affect whether or not you've got purity or impurity well, you know, that was pretty good, Pastor. It was a good job. Gave you the thumbs up from the back, but I'm not going to go down. I, I, just can't, I just can't quite get with it today. Next week, I'll put my... T- well, no, no, you don't understand. Every word of God, was a be- that. every sacrifice that's put on that altar had the ability to wash and to cleanse. There was blood that was being washed off of them. The key to this is the altar is supposed to be a place of alteration. A place where transformation and change has. And you've got to recognize, and I've got to recognize, it will cost you something. But we've confined the altar to this little time after the preacher's done. But what if we could start like they did and start at the altar and get the fire going before we went into the holy place? Why do we do this backwards in Pentecost, Brother Wilson? Why can't we come into the house of God before church and get our corporate prayer going and begin to build a fire in the presence of God and allow that purity to... Sometimes we got that that cart right up in front of that horse and that horse can't push for nothing. He's really good at pulling, but he doesn't push very well. And we come dragging into the house of God and say, give me mine. I got to go. It's Walmart time. But there's a purity that's found at an old old altar. And the altar is not a location later, but it's when you come in and you say, you know what? I'm going to get in here because the body edifies itself in love. And I'm going to let there be some cleansing power in the Holy Ghost. It's a choice, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time, and it's going to cost you some energy, and it's going to cost you some effort. But you've got to understand it's a choice that you have because at an altar you had to leave some things that you were attached to behind. And so in order to receive the promise, you've got to make room. You've got to give up some time for transformation. Well, I'm just not getting fed at that church. It's a problem with your altar. Well, I'm just not getting what I need. There's a problem with your altar. Well, I'm just not, there's a problem with your altar. Because we talk about transformation, but the reality is transformation only truly occurs in an altar. And so God has a place of altering for every one of us, but there's a price tag on altering. You've got to understand that prayer is still the only thing that really transforms you. Yes, the Word of God is a seed, but when I get to an altar, I'm watering and planting and digging and getting that seed in my life so that God can change me. I know it's a perspective. Well, I I didn't come for prayer today. Pastor, I so busy, so much going on. No, no, no. It's a choice that you're making to not allow the Spirit of God to alter you, to not allow the Word of God to alter you, not allow the Word of God to alter me. The altar is the place where the alteration, where the transformation happens, and I am the one who's responsible for the altar. Well, if I go down front and somebody prays for me, not how it works. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe it's biblical. I understand that. But if we come as a body, I'm talking about all of us collectively, if we could restore corporate prayer and we found a place to come in and get lost in the Holy Ghost and get that fire going, one, the preacher could preach better because there's fire going already. He's not struggling against the Spirit's. I thought to myself, Lord, what in the world happened here on Sunday? It wasn't a bad service. It wasn't horrible, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what we are used to, and it really wasn't what we needed as the people of God. There wasn't that move, Pastor, of the Holy Ghost that we've been talking about. What makes the Holy Ghost move? It happens when you and I join arms together and find a place of prayer. Well, I got something to do before service, that's great. Then come before you got something to do and find a place to pray and get lost in the Holy Ghost and allow the Word to begin to transform and mold and make us there has to be an element of purity we can't finish this thing that we started in the spirit in the flesh it's not a possible thing and I want to see you and you want to see me and we want to talk and I, I want to bump fist or elbows or smile at you or do whatever we want to do but we've got to find a place of prayer because God has something he's got an agenda he said it has to become our priority. The third thing is found in verse 14. I Notice this. Jesus comes in. He turns everything upside down, throwing a big hissy fit. I like Jesus. I like that. That's not good. Get this stuff out of here, right? And he's throwing a big fit. You know? Some of y'all would have been offended. Some of y'all would have changed churches. Others would have backslid. Verse 14, after all of that stuff, after he gets the priority set and after he gets the purity restored. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. We want the miraculous, don't we? We want the miracles to happen. Well, the miracles don't happen until we get the priorities set. And the miracles aren't going to happen until prior, until purity has been has been put in place. And sometimes we're saying, come on, God, we want a miracle, we want a miracle. And he said, You're still associated with death. You still got ceremonial and moral impurity, and I can't move in that atmosphere. But if I can get in there and turn some things upside down and begin to put transformation upon my church, then when that sinner comes in and conviction begins to move, then the miraculous can happen. Then the Holy Ghost can be outpoured. It can be poured out. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Jesus, we love you, Jesus. See, somehow we think that if we got good programs and good music and great preaching and and teaching and all this stuff, then the people will come. Look, look, there's an order of things that happen here. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I believe that we should strive to do our very best in every one of those. I, I, I believe that we do all of those things. But without prayer, the miracle doesn't happen. Jesus even prayed before he healed people. He didn't walk up and put his hands on people. He didn't go up and say hallelujah. He was spent time in prayer. He prepared. Why? Because in John chapter 6, 34, verse thirty four, he said, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We've got to understand that prayer is where that drawing ability of the Holy Ghost moves in. I want the miraculous. You want the miraculous. But we've got to pay the price for the miraculous. We've got to say, God, you know what? This is really what has to happen. The miraculous is dependent upon me and upon you to come and get into a place where the, where, where the power can be released. It's very real, folks. It's real simple. There, there's an altar where self and time are sacrificed, where the dependence of the natural or changes over to the dependence on the spiritual. And I know it's heavy. I know, Brother Roberts, give us a give us a great three-step plan to pray. But understand this: that there is a process. It starts with prioritizing. It moves to pu- to purity. The Holy Ghost, Jesus couldn't do many mighty works there. Why? Because of unbelief. But look at what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Now, I'm reading from the NIV. He said, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He said, resist him. The King James says, resist him in the faith. We know this, that faith is a byproduct of the word and prayer. Paul told the Romans that faith cometh by hearing. Jude told the church that we build up our most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. When we come together corporately, it's not time to come and give God your laundry list. It's time to get in the Spirit. It's time, right? Why? Because we've got to resist the devil and he will flee from us. If you go to James chapter 4, verse 7, that's what James says, resist the devil and he'll flee. The Greek word for resist means to fight or to struggle or to stand against. We know that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and we come in. And we've got the best, I believe we've got the best preaching and the best singing and music. My goodness, I, I I agree with you, Pastor. Nobody can do it like we can do. But the foundation is not set upon the base. And if we're not careful, all of that is ineffective. Because I've got to get my spirit clean before the atonement. I can't start the atonement in the holy place. It's got to start at the altar. It's got to start with my sacrifice. It's got to start with blood. It's got to start again with the fire because I can't, take, I can't take that impure blood into the holiest of holies. It's got to be the right blood. It's got to be done the right way. There's a, there's a, there's a plan and a procedure. We've got to resist the devil through prayer. I've been guilty. You've been guilty. I I don't have the convenience. I I, I don't need, it's so convenient just to come and, man, give me a good sermon. Give me a good message. Give me a good lesson. Let me get my three-point bullets out, and, and I can read those next week. But there has to be something in the people of God that drives us to a deeper place of prayer. I'm talking to folks that, that are saying that they won't come to church because of COVID, but they'll go to Walmart or Target or Lowe's or, or Kohl's or wherever they want to go. And I'm talking to people that are come in here and say all these different things, but we've got to make our, our mind up that this house is going to be a house of prayer. Well, well, Pastor, if you tell us, no, it's not, Pastor, this is the Scripture. This is the Word of God. It's not about Pastor or Brother Roberts. It's about you and about me. It's about us as individuals coming in and saying, Corporately, I'm making the choice. Prayer is going to be my priority. I have got to purify my spirit so the miraculous can happen, so the outpouring can happen, so that souls can be saved because that responsibility belongs not to the pastor or the leadership, but to every saint of God. We need some of that little child faith. In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples came together And and they asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus took that little child, you know the story, and set him in the midst and said, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become like little children, you're not going to get in the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, he says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is going to be great in the kingdom. There's nothing more humbling to our flesh than prayer. There's nothing more inconvenient or humbling than spending time in the presence of God. But I'm asking us what would happen. Why can't we have revival in the middle of a pandemic? Why can't we have an outpouring if we're willing to sacrifice? Because it's not about us. It's about God. If we give him the opportunity to show off, he will show off. But it's my choice. The final one is in verses 15 and 16. The chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did. Now notice that the children are crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna. My notes just went all like 15 pages the other direction. Give me a minute, a second, I'll get there. Lord, how did that happen? Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased. Tell your neighbor, they didn't like it. I'm, I'm, you're not supposed to touch your face. Brooke's giving me grief over here. Lick your fingers. Verse 16, Jesus looks at, now listen, these are the religious folks. Now notice what's going on, right? The, the people came to him in the temple. The people came to Jesus to be healed in the temple because the priority was right. The purity was there. Now the miraculous has happened. Now in in ver- these verses, the kids are doing what the adults did when he came into Jerusalem. The children are going Hosanna, Hosanna! Right, and they're they're crying in the temple. And and these right, the Son of David and and the the elders and the chief priests and the scribes are sore displeased. They was mad. They were upset. And he said unto them, can you hear what these kids are saying? And Je- they said it to, to Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, "Yea, Yeah, I hear. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings has thou perfected praise? You've got to understand something. We start with praise. They're ended with Praise. We, we got to get this. If we can get in, and why, why do I need a foundation? Why do I got to get the altar set back on its base? Because if I can get to the point, if I can get to the place, if you and I, as we as the body can get to the place where the priority is set and the purity happens and the miraculous begins to happen, then the worship. Listen, when the children began to worship, I remember, I remember, oh my Lord, I remember some of the kids. I don't remember if it was you, Bro Staten, or 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 Jolene. Or one of the, one of the kids got the Holy Ghost, and I remember Bishop saying, "Oh." Oh, Bishop was excited. He's like, man, when you watch, when the kids, when the kids start getting the Holy Ghost, you gotta understand, Brother Roberts, when the kids, when the children start talking in tongues, that's a sign of revival. And you know what happened? The church began to grow and families began to come on, Sister Lawrence, tell the truth, and they began to come in, and people just the place began to get filled up all over the place. Why? Because we're, we're worried about our children, what's the kids gonna do? Well, listen, you get the priority right and you get the purity right, and you let the miraculous start. Start happening. The worship will take care of itself. We get so wound up about the worship. Listen, the, those, those folks are so indignant. Did you see what that kid's doing? Do you see? What that? Yeah, I see what they're doing. You need to go back and read the Bible. You need to go back and read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. That's how revival happened. Why can't we have revival during a pandemic? It's not about the world or about COVID. It's about the church not letting the foundation be where the foundation needs to be. Brother Barry, it's my job to get my altar set back on the right foundation. Sister Sim, because I've got to get my shovel out and find some of those old places where, that, where that, that altar was built. I know it's been destroyed. I know there's not a block set upon a block. But they got back to the place where there was morning and evening sacrifices. The world was put back right For 70 years, for almost two generations, nothing was going right for them. And can you imagine? They didn't build the church. They didn't build the temple. They didn't build the walls. The first thing they put in place was the altar of sacrifice. What are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm telling us it's not dependent. It's not dependent upon something else. It's dependent on us. It's dependent on the people of God for you and I to dig out that foundation or to build that foundation of necessary and to make prayer a priority, not just your personal prayer. Well, I pray at home. Well, good for you. The body was designed to pray corporately. The body was designed to pray together. We talked about some things in our leadership meeting tonight that I believe are going to help the body to become more effective and more efficient at prayer and help us. But it's my job to make sure, bro, somebody, that I'm not distracted, that I can come in because it's so easy because all of the events of the day and all that stuff that's going on is trying to, but there, listen, I've showed you in scripture, it's a priority item. It's a purity, and it follows that. It's my job, brother Robert. You've said this for years. I've been saying it for years, and I'm going to keep saying it until the Lord takes me home, whether by hook or crook, or by grave or the or the rapture. I don't care how I go. Just get, just just understand me. I believe this that we are the ones who set the precedent for every single church service. Well, pastor, you missed it today. You just weren't. You just. I guess you just didn't get it done. I, I know you studied, but man, next week you'll get it, pastor. No, it's not pastor. Brother Roberts, you've taught better lessons, you, 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 but you, it's okay. We'll give you a pass this week. I know it was tough. You had a lot going on. It's not necessarily the preacher. It's my preparation of my altar. It's not this two-feet area up here, but it's saying, listen, i got to get my priority. i got to make prayer my priority. I, I, I'm focusing on corporate prayer. I'm focusing on us to come together as the body and find a place. What are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm encouraging you with everything I can to be here at 1030 on Sunday morning. Not 1031, not 1032, not 1045, not 1050, but let's come and create an atmosphere where the miraculous can happen. It's not about the praise team. It's not about the preacher. It's a God thing, but if we'll create that atmosphere, if we will create that atmosphere, then those things will happen, that that purity. We get in that place and not just, oh, God bless Aunt Sue and Uncle Joe. No, no, no. I'm talking about let's find a place of prayer so that there's some washing and some regeneration and some renewing. Let's find a let's find a chair somewhere and kneel down. If you have to wear a mask, wear a mask and pray and let there be some repentance. Let there be some heartfelt repentance before the preacher preaches and get some hearts ready. And when the sinner comes in, he's gonna feel. Please understand that those spirits of our age want us to feel like spending a few minutes together as the body is such an inconvenience, such an inconvenience. Oh, my goodness. It's just, oh, oh, I got so much to do. Can I tell you, it's not so inconvenient because most of us spend at least 30 minutes a day on our phone. Or more? Maybe a lot more. Brother Vahaska. tell them the truth. I'll spend 30 minutes cleaning the boat, 30 minutes prepping the boat in a heartbeat for an hour fishing trip. Wouldn't bother me in the slightest. But I'm talking to us tonight. I I really felt like I, Sister Monk, when I talked to you this morning, I have a note on paper. I promise you, the Lord's been talking to me. I want us to understand as the body, it's our responsibility. I don't want you to make you feel bad, I I want us to repent. I want us to ask the Lord to forgive us for not setting the priority and not letting the Holy Ghost purify us and cleanse us before we come in. I want that to happen in this body because God wants to do the miraculous every time we come together.
0: Sometimes, it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com.